reading this morning is Luke 19, verses 1 to 10, and in the Church Bibles, that's on page 1053, and I'm really sorry, I don't know what page in the large print, because I forgot to look. Luke 19, verses 1 to 10, Zacchaeus the tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's going to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is the word of the Lord. Beautifully read, thank you. Just a pen fell off. Um, Anyway, uh, let's focus. So it's Vision Sunday today. Are we up for hearing a bit about this? Good. Well, I was walking home last week and... uh, got to our little road and um, was walking along and a lady just wound down the window and said, do you know the way to Heathrow? And I thought, gosh, I do. I was trying to work out how to describe it. And I went over and she said, can you help me? And I said, I said, I'll do my best. I'll try and help you. And I noticed a little tear just um, run run down her cheek. And then um, uh, I, I said, are you okay? And she um, absolutely burst out crying, sobbing, sobbing on the steering wheel. I've, lo- I've got lost, I've got lost. My son, my son, Heathrow. And I said, um, I'd love to help you. And I said, do you have like a phone with sat-nav on? Uh, uh, she said, I do. And she pulled out two phones. She said, I think the first one isn't working. And so I was trying to sort of work it out, which of you know me or know I'm, the, I'm the, the last person to ask about these things, even though I pretend I know all about them. And um, that didn't seem to work. I said, have you got another phone? She was sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And I, I got her second phone and uh, just typed in Heathrow. And um, uh, it seemed to work. And I said, look, do you want to come in for a cup of tea or something before you drive? Because you know, and she said, I've got to get to Heathrow. I've just got to get to Heathrow. Please, please, would you just pray that um, the, the sat-nav doesn't die or it doesn't take me the wrong way? And uh, off she went. I'll come back to her, but it is Vision Sunday. What I want to do today is do uh, a few things this morning. I want to recap uh, on our vision, the journey of how we've got to this place. That's for the benefit of uh, anyone new to the church. I think it's good just to hear the story again. I also want to just look back at the three priorities we set ourselves in March 2015, and I, I'm then going to tweak those slightly. 
And then I want to identify our, our major challenge as a church at this time. And then I want to just end beautifully by um, suggesting some ways that we can cope with our major challenge. So does that sound like a good plan? So here we go. Our vision is coming up on the screen. Our vision is to love God, love people, and make a difference. difference. Why love God? Because the first commandment, thank you. Uh, This is the greatest commandment. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the Lord? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So that's why we're going to love God. Why are we going to bother loving people? It's the second commandment, this kid. It's quite easy, this, isn't it? Sometimes these multi-choice things can be quite difficult, but this is easy. Jesus said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And why are we going to make a difference? (laughs) Uh, Because there's the great commandment, and then there's the... Great Commission, which calls every Christian to make a difference. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Love God, love people make a difference. We're seeking to do what Jesus is asking us to do. We're seeking to uh, actually um, be uh, people who take the great commandment, the great commission seriously. And uh, can we just agree something? What lies at the heart of the great commandment is uh, a desire to bring people to faith. Is that fair enough? Okay, come on. Is that it? To lead people to Christ and not just to lead them to, to Christ, to disciple them and help them spiritually form and uh, actually be able to follow Jesus in the 21st century with all its precious challenges, opportunities, joys, uh, all the rest of it. So that's our vision. And uh, just very, very briefly, I don't want to labor this, but I did say last year that our vision uh, actually is in line with the heritage of St. Saviour's. Um, guess when this place opened? 26th of August, 1893. I can't do the maths, but how long ago is that? What's 2015 minus 1893? 123. Well done. Toby, we need need an award here. Um, So that's uh, 123 years ago. There's been all sorts of people in this place long before we got here. And uh, there's been all sorts of different leaders, different PCCs, different life group leaders, all sorts of different people. Uh, Yet they've had a desire to actually speak about Christ and reach into the community. So it's in line with that. And uh, also, I did want to say this sounds a bit defensive, but it's not defensive at all. This isn't the Mike and Bex Norris vision or... uh, anything like that. This is actually, we're seeking to follow the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus in line with the history and heritage of the church. And uh, also, was anyone here in 2011, long before I got here, when there's that big vision process? Apparently 500 people were 
filled out questionnaires, amazing response. Uh, anyone fill out one of those questionnaires? So you shape this vision because that concluded for three things. Firstly, that actually as a church, we needed to be far more outward focused and be able to speak about Jesus, the good news of Christ. Secondly, it concluded we needed to uh, actually really boost our families and children's work here. Uh, which um, has been part of the heritage. Thirdly, it concluded that we need to be a church that really uh, resources other people. And um, so all of what we're doing really is in line with the history of this great place. Uh, Follows the um, review in 2011. And uh, also importantly, there's a space for everyone in this vision. Are you feeling part of it? Why don't you turn to the person next to you or around you? If you're on your own, don't feel embarrassed. If you're on your own, I might try and come and find you, but let's not leave anyone on your own. Are you feeling part of this vision out of 10, where 10 is you're fully in, you're fully sprinting, you're firing, and zero is what, what's this vision? Eh, who are you? Um, where are you on that scale? One minute. Ten more seconds. Have we got any tens on the scale? Any tens? Great, well done. Any zeros? Just come and speak to me quietly afterwards if you want to. Let's not name and shame you. Be very welcome. Um, And so that's the recap on the vision. That's the first thing. The second thing, uh, can you remember the three priorities we set for ourselves? I said we'll set some priorities. These might change. But last March, we said what? Number one, we are going to create a big family, a big family where everyone can feel a sense of belonging, a multi-generational family, so not just a sort of nuclear family, sort of, um, you know, uh, two kids, uh, a dog, Uh, that sort of, just that family, but, you know, uh, wide generational family, diverse family and inclusive family. And uh, actually, we've we've made great progress. It's been under a year, but we've done all sorts of stuff. Uh, The welcome and warmth of this place has dramatically increased. I I met someone who used to be here. They'd been overseas a, a few years ago. They said, oh, my goodness, uh, I can't believe how much friendlier and warmer the church feels. It's so wonderful. And uh, we've done all sorts of social events. We've done jazz. Friday night was great. We've done uh, Passover meals. We've done all sorts of things. We've um, dined with me, different courses. We've worked pretty hard to try and uh, help that process. And uh, there's lots of stuff been happening behind the scenes too. We've got, we've got a number of people being trained by the diocese in pastoral care, for example. So there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes too. And life groups and life group leaders continue to do a great job in sort of taking the family forward. So that was the first identity, uh, priority. The second priority was what? You're all looking slightly anxious now and slightly troubled. It's everyone's like... It was to prioritize local mission. And uh, we said, didn't we, look, absolutely everyone has a part to play here and we've all got a heartbeat. What's a heartbeat? It's not just a physical do-do, do-do, do-do. There's a spiritual heartbeat. God has created us. He's called us. He's given us passions and giftings. It's all quite, we're all quite different, which is a good thing. 
And uh, actually, when we go for our callings, when we express our heartbeat, actually, you know, the church grows. And uh, we're wanting, actually, in this new season to really focus uh, on our, where we are. We're called to be missionaries as a Christian. Uh, that doesn't mean we're all called to go to Pakistan, uh, necessarily. Some people might be. Actually, where we are, we're to speak of the good news of Jesus and be, be missional where we are. So that's what we said secondly, and uh, we've done all sorts of stuff there. We've run all sorts of courses, heartbeat courses. We've done all sorts of stuff. Uh, we've trained leaders, uh, all sorts of stuff uh, over the last uh, 11 months or so. And thirdly, can you uh, remember our last priority? Well done, Matt. <laughs> You've been waiting. <laughs> Transformed Sunday services. Good on you, brother. Even though you're Australia. Australian, aren't you? We'll let you off. Um, we're very inclusive. You're welcome. Kind of. Um, I think... I th <laughs> so, transform the Sunday services as well. And uh, we, in October 2014, we actually made a whole load of changes and uh, we've made progress there with our worship, with our teaching, with our ministry. Although, of course, there's always stuff to do. A church can never say, hey, the Sunday services are perfect. And the day uh, they do, they're probably in trouble. So that was where we were got to. And what I want to do now, we've recapped on the journey of the vision of church. We look back at our priorities. I want to tweet these priorities. So are you ready for the new tweet three priorities? Are you feeling excited? Great, thanks for nothing. Right, <laughs> so here we go. Priority one should come up here. We're going to grow the big family through local evangelism and mission. And uh, we're actually wanting to, in a majorly uh, focused kind of way, speak more about Christ and see more people come to faith. Because that's the great commission, isn't it? And uh, that's what we really, really uh, want to do. And um, basically, you know, churches that give up on trying to do that or give up on the lost, uh, as they're called, actually, they actually die. And uh, they become dead. Bureaucracy takes over. Dull, life-sucking tradition takes over. And we don't get fresh, new life. So it's actually not just a sort of, oh, that's a good idea. It's actually core to the uh, health and well-being of any church. And so that's what we're going to uh, be doing. And um, basically, um, let's just do a quick survey um, as to how we're going on this. This, uh, this is uh, a bit blunt, so, uh, but it's, it's not meant to be aggressive. I want to just ask you how many people you've led to Christ or in your circle of friends who you've seen Coming to faith, I'm not sort of, sort of saying, oh, I heard on the radio someone came to faith, you know, in Hampshire, I'll, you know. Let's just uh, do a quick straw poll. I'm doing this across all the services just to see. So, uh, who has led someone to Christ or seen someone come to faith in your family or your immediate circle in the last week? Okay. Uh, in the last month? Awesome, one hand. Uh, in the last six months. Okay, no one. Oh, you're, you're itching your nose, sorry. I, th I was getting excited. Uh, in, the last, in the last year. A couple of people. Uh, in the last two years. There's a few people. In the last five years. So a few people. So what do you conclude from that? 
Why not have a quick chat? What do you conclude from that? Quick survey. It's blunt, I know, I know, but what do you think? Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. That actually, we've got a bit to do. Let's have a quick chat together, and then we'll move on. Quick chat. Ten more seconds, maybe. Okay, so generally speaking, and we can keep these conversations going. Generally speaking, I think uh, we've got quite a lot to do, quite a lot to change, and that's normal for the church in this country. Generally speaking, the church is in decline. Generally speaking, um, we're not seeing uh, as many people as we'd like to see um, come to faith. The Diocese of Guildford, of which we're part, has described this in terms of a demographic time bomb that actually uh, uh, the bishop and the team there would say in 20 years' time, most of the Anglican church, just through the age demographics, is going to sort of uh, uh, finish uh, or reduce dramatically, dramatically in the next 20 years. And so uh, we've got a bit to do here, haven't we? And I I picked um, this... uh, Reading from Zacchaeus, it is part of the Counterfeit God series, but I just liked it for a few reasons. Uh, We can often think, you know, I'm a Christian, or we can feel on our back foot, or, um, you know, uh, I can feel a bit embarrassed about my faith, or frightened of sharing my faith, or actually, do you ever think, gosh, my friends would never be um, interested, or they're not the spiritual type? What I love about Zacchaeus is he isn't the spiritual type. He doesn't look like the spiritual type, verses one or two. Jesus entered Jericho, passing through a man, was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So here's this guy. He doesn't look like the spiritual type at all. He's probably socially ostracized because of his job. He's working with the Romans, we know. He's ripping off his fellow men, and he's just going for the money. So he's not looking wildly uh, spiritual at all. What's fascinating, though, and actually we're, we're surrounded by lots of people every day, aren't we, who don't look wildly spiritual or like they're seeking. But actually, um, I would challenge that. Um, actually, uh, lots of people are hungry for God. He set eternity in their hearts. Secondly, what's fascinating I love about Zacchaeus is he doesn't look very spiritual or very Um, like he's spiritually hungry or religious or however you want to describe it, but he's actually really, really spiritually hungry. Verse three and four, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, I have no idea what that's like, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him just since Jesus was coming that way. I was in Leicester Square about uh, 20 years ago. Nelson Mandela was coming in, and uh, I was waited. I took a sickie, and uh, I was just waiting for him. I climbed a lamppost just to be able to see Nelson Mandela. I sort of relate to this. And um, actually, uh, Zacchaeus is spiritually hungry. And lots of people you work with, lots of your family members, lots of people around are spiritually hungry. And uh, they're open, and they are... Uh, uh, open to the things of God. And uh, what I love about that, therefore, is uh, Zacchaeus isn't just spiritually hungry. He doesn't look religious. He doesn't look interested at all, really. But actually, what I love is that Zacchaeus, Jesus seeks Zacchaeus out. Jesus is always seeking 
and saving the lost. That's what's happened to you. That's what's happened to me. And he's seeking, seeking, seeking. Verses five to six. You can see this is a very quick Bible study. When Jesus reached this spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'd like to have a chat with you and give you a tract or have a slightly awkward conversation about God. I'd like to tell you you're a sinner and your life's a mess and you're immoral and you're horrible and you uh, worship money and uh, actually you're disgusting and um, you could never come to my church because um, you wouldn't be welcome. It's not quite how it goes, isn't it? I must stay at your house today. God in the kitchen. It's quite extraordinary. And uh, so he came down at once, welcomed him gladly, and off they go. The other thing uh, is not just that Zacchaeus doesn't look spiritual, that he actually has spiritual hunger, and Jesus seeks him out. I don't know whether you noticed about this story, but often God's people get in the way of what God wants to do. And uh, this is an interesting uh, element of verse 7. All the people saw this began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And they don't like it. And um, that can happen in the church. We can be judgmental. But often in the church, actually, we can actually not even speak about God. We can never speak about our faith. We can never expect anyone to come to faith. And when we're like that, we're actually getting in the way of what God wants to do. I don't mean that in a heavy way. But actually, God has come to seek and save the lost. And um, we can often get in the way, just through our own expectations. But what you see is that's always dangerous, not to speak about Christ, not to actually speak confidently about God, because God changes lives. But Zacchaeus, verse 8, stood up, said, To the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. It's a massive, that's a massive deal, four times the amount. That's a big change. And of course, in this story, what you see is Jesus' heartbeat for the lost. What does he say? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is our call. This is what we're called to do. This is what we're called to be. So, what we're going to be doing here uh, is actually um, putting a desire to seek and save the lost at the heart of everything we do. And we're not going to set up an evangelism committee or you know, subcommittee of the subcommittee, subcommittee. We're actually just going to put this into our fiber, into our DNA, into our very, very being. And um, actually, it would be very, very exciting, wouldn't it, if we could all put our hands up in response to what happened last week or, or last month. Let's all put our hands up in the sense of, Uh, seeing people come to faith. Would you like that? Would that be boring? Would that be dead? Would that be slightly dull? I don't think it would be. Because actually we've seen firsthand what Jesus does when we come into a relationship with him. So we need to do this for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of people who don't yet know him. And lots of people are lost. They're trying to find Heathrow with faulty sat-navs that are leading them in the wrong direction or taking them the wrong way. But we have the words of a life uh, in Jesus Christ. We need to do this for our sake. When we don't have new birth, new spiritual birth, new life coming in, we just uh, become stagnant. And we need to do this, therefore, for the sake of St. Saviors. So, 
That's our tweet priority number one. I'm going to mention the second two now. Are you following my train of thought? So that was the one I wanted to major on this morning, just that one. But I've got two more that we're going to unpack subsequently. So this is the second one. We're going to deepen our big family life together by building our community life. We've got to grow as a community, and that's going to be our priority um, as we uh, journey through uh, this immediate chapter. And then also, thirdly, we're going to equip the big family by releasing and empowering everyone into their God-given gifts and ministries. The church will be as exciting as you want it to be. The church will be as vibrant as you choose for it to be. Uh, the more we engage with God, seek to sort of work out what he wants to do in our way, and that would be very diverse, uh, this place will become more exciting. People often say to me, Mike, where are you taking the church? I often say, uh, where are you taking the church? I'll do what I can, and uh, I want you to do what you can in response to what God is calling you to be and do. So, we've recapped on the, uh, what have we done? We've recapped can you remember, Joey, or not? How was your baby shower yesterday? Good. Um, so, <laughs> we've recapped on the vision of the church, the journey. We've looked at the three priorities. We've looked at the new three tweaks I've mentioned about we're going to really reach out. Uh, that's going to be a strong desire. Now, what's the biggest challenge? What's the biggest challenge? In a word, change. Because we're clearly going to have to change how we operate to be a church that does really increasingly love God, love people, make a difference. And uh, actually, change is really, really challenging. I love Herodotus in the 5th century. He said, diseases always attack men when they're exposed to change. And uh, uh, the church has to change in this country. We have to change uh, at St. Saviour's to actually uh, meet uh, a changing cultural context and actually be all that God would want us to be. And change is actually really, really challenging. And um, even good change, we often think change that's bad, like change you don't like. Even good change is really challenging, like you have a new baby. Has anyone had a baby recently? It's quite challenging. Or you get a new job or you get married uh, this actually is challenging. I remember uh, Bex got pregnant, and uh, I was the father. And um, basically, um, you know, I phoned up my old vicar and said, um, John, look, Bex just got pregnant. You know, you've had kids. What, what's your advice or any thoughts on this big change to help me? He said, well, a few things. First of all, you know, prepare. You'll love your baby in a way that you, you just wouldn't think possible. It's just extraordinary. So prepare for that. It's amazing. And he said, on occasions, you will want to throw it out the window as well. <laughs> You're not a psycho. That's just normal. And then I said, oh, that's helpful. And then he said, well, I said, well, what about Bex and I? He said, well, prepare to say goodbye to your wife. I said, what do you mean? He said, really, your relationship's going to die for quite a long time. And um, depending on how many children you have, um, you will get her back probably in seven or eight years, depending on how many children you have. That woman you married will come back. And so don't do anything stupid in the meantime, like have an affair or anything like that. Just support her, hang in there, and just do what you can. New baby. So that's difficult, isn't it? That's change. And change is challenging. Uh, as a church, we've had lots of change. And um, Services have changed, uh, worship's changed, teaching's changed, people have changed, uh, 
Kate and Tom have left. Uh, Peter, uh, Lavelle, um, ha- and Pam, they've gone. Um, there's been a lot of change. So I want to actually just talk about change and how we cope with change. And uh, I'm, I'm, I know I'm teaching um, my grandma to suck eggs on one uh, sense, because I know, I know you all know this, but I want to just show you a couple of graphs about how we can cope with change, okay? Does this sound like a good plan? And uh, some people in the church I know have been really struggling with these changes. Not everyone, but some people have. So this is why I'm doing this. And also it might be useful um, anyway in our own life. If you just moved jobs, if you just had a baby, if you just got married, if you just whatever. Uh, this might be worth thinking about. So this is change. Now, I looked at this and I thought, gosh, the thing that hits me immediately is change is quite difficult. If you look at the blue line, it's kind of, <laughs> it's called the roller coaster of change. Up the vertical axis, there's motivation and energy. Yeah. Uh, horizontal is time. And uh, so what happens, uh, you'll notice actually right at that, I didn't notice this initially, things often get slightly better when change is announced. It's, yes, yes. And then uh, there's denial. That's a yellow box. That's kind of, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. Um, this baby won't stop crying um, all, all night. Uh, this isn't happening. And um, basically, uh, that's a common reaction to change, a sort of denial phase where you feel a bit numb. And then it goes into a sort of resistance phase, which is the red thing. And this is where people resist change. I don't know whether you've ever resisted change. I actually quite like change on the whole, but I also notice I have resisted change a lot uh, on occasions. And uh, uh, what can happen in a church where lots of change is happening is is people can sort of uh, feel a whole range of emotions to change uh, in a church. And that can be, uh, you know, shock, turmoil, uh, anxiety, can be blind rage, you know, what on earth is going on. And actually what typically can happen at that point in time, motivation, energy dips, of course, if you look at that graph, and then uh, people can disengage from the journey that the church is on, or they don't feel included, they feel they've been disenfranchised, they're no longer valued, they've been overlooked, and uh, they used to be part of the church and how it was, but they feel actually... Uh, It's changing, and I'm not uh, uh, as part of this as I used to be. And uh, I want to just say these are difficult reactions, aren't they? But they're also really normal reactions. This is what happens when you change. Not just a church, but, you know, one of the the most intense changes I went through was when in my law firm, when I was working, they decided to move everyone's office around. And uh, it was just all these grown men and women, professional men and women, going absolutely mad uh, around offices and who was where and, you know. So, so you see this. Now, time goes on and then you hit the blue phase, which goes into an exploration thing where people actually think, okay, I'm coming out of this a little bit and uh, I'm going to uh, not just disconnect now, I'm going to reconnect and explore how I can actually participate and get involved with this new thing. And um, there's an exploration phase. You'll notice, again, motivation and energy is on the increase, and that happens with time. And then hopefully, in commitment, uh, is the green box. Hopefully, then, after that sort of quite sort of roller coaster journey, you come back and you recommit to whatever the new thing is. And uh, 
that's really, really significant. The other thing to say is the reason you implement change uh, is to get to a better place than before, obviously. And so the right blue line is higher than the left blue line where it begins, if that makes sense. And there's only ever one reason to change anything in a church, and that's for missional reasons, for the sake uh, of uh, the church growing and becoming more vibrant. That's the only reason to change uh, anything. So that's that model. Why don't you have a quick chat with the person next to you? And let's focus on St. Saviour's. Where do you think the church is on the change curve, and where do you think you are on the change curve? Just really, really quickly, because I want to show you one, one thing, and I promised everyone to be over by midday. So, Okay, a few more moments. I'm sorry to rush you. So let me butt in here, sorry. Um, what I'm suggesting as a church at this point in time, firstly, we need to accept and learn how to negotiate change. Secondly, and I hope this helps, this sort of takes this a little bit deeper, we need to understand the difference between change and transition. Change and transition, again, you can use this at home, so to speak. Uh, the theory here is that change is situational, okay? It's what happens, you move house. You take on a new job. Uh, you have a new baby. The, si it's, the situation changes. That's what change speaks of. But actually, transition is psychological. It's not situation, or situational or circumstantial. Transition is what happens psychologically. And um, actually, uh, here's another um, graph. And I, I hope you're not feeling graphed out, but I think this is quite important. Um, you'll see here... To transition well psychologically when you're confronting change, and that can be anything, you need to go through these zones. And uh, interestingly, the first phase of transition is this blue one, which is ending losing, uh, losing and letting go. And uh, at this point in time, psychologically, when faced with change, whatever it might be, the theory is you need to get, let go of the old ways and the old identity you have. You need to grieve and deal with your losses, uh, because actually whenever anything is changed, uh, you're in a grief scenario, even if it's good. When you get married, yes, you've actually lost quite a lot. <laughs> I don't mean that in a sexist way, by the way. Um, <laughs> when you have a baby, you actually have a baby, but you lose quite a lot. And so you're in a grief thing. And actually, this model says it's not just having the baby which is the change. Psychologically, you've got to deal with that in three ways and go through these zones. You've got to let go of the old ways, the old identity. You're no longer that, that single, <laughs> hi, let's go out tomorrow night. You know, you're, you're, you're actually whatever you are. So this is known as ending... Losing, letting go. That's the blue zone. What do you think the second thing is? That's the neutral zone. You've got to go through an in-between time when the old is gone, but the new isn't fully operational. This is the most dangerous psychological transition part because actually it's the neutral zone 
this is when psychological realignments and repatternings take place. But this is critical because in the neutral zone, you can't quite see your way through or where you're going to get to. And the temptation is to walk away from uh, uh, whatever the change environment is or actually decide not to change. And uh, when you decide not to change or soften the change, you actually end up not getting up to the top part on the blue graph. You actually scupper. So you end up with, a, with a, you know, the, the, the resisting the change, and actually then you don't change anything. I mean, it's a double whammy, if that makes sense. You lose your nerve at that point for completely understandable reasons. Now... Um, the third phase is actually coming out of your psychological transition and making a new beginning. And this is uh, the new beginning. And uh, this is when people develop a new identity, experience new energy, and discover the new sense of purpose uh, that makes the changes begin to work. So I don't know whether that's helpful, but I think that's really helpful as we think about uh, since saviors and what has been going on. And uh, actually... Um, just to repeat, transition is a process by which people unplug from an old world and plug into a new world. We can say that transition starts actually with an ending and finishes with a beginning. So when you transition, you end, first of all, and then you get to a beginning. Um, that's different with change. With change, you focus on the outcome that the change produces. Is that useful? And... The other really critical thing to notice here that's absolutely critical is that change is really fast. <laughs> Baby arrives. I do. You're married. Uh, we left New Zealand. It took a day. Boom. We're here. We're back. Fast. Transition, psychological transition, is really slow. I'm still trying to work out what it, I'm still, tr I'm still slightly recovering from having children, trying to figure it out. <laughs> I thought I used to be a nice person, you know, it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> I still like Bex, it's still marriage, you know, it's like, oh gosh, she's still here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, isn't it? It's a bit like that life, isn't it? So, um, change is fast, transition slow, and so if you have been struggling, I hope that helps in some way, and uh, I hope that's useful. And uh, I did just uh, want to say, thirdly, the thing we need to do in this season, I want to suggest is uh, to commit to journeying on together. Commit to journeying on together. You know, temptation, as I said, in a time of change is just to jump the ship. I don't know whether you've ever done that. Relationship goes through a time of change, I'm out of here you know, or whatever it is, or this is too hard at work, I'm out of here, I'm going to get another job. Um, actually, I want to urge you to stick with what uh, we're doing here at St. Saviour's. There's no sense in which I'm thinking thousands of people are leaving or anything, but I just, I just want to just be honest. I urge you to stick with what, you, what, with, with what we're doing, because actually the reason I'd say that is we don't really know, and you don't have enough information, neither do I, to work out exactly what the church is going to look like yet because uh, we, we haven't hit the new beginning. Does that make sense? And um, that's, this is really, really uh, important just to think that through. And um, I do want to say to anyone who has been struggling, uh, first and foremost, I really love you. That's the first thing I want to say. 
secondly, uh, if I can support you in any way, if the church can support you in any way, uh, we'd love to do that. And, um, you know, change is difficult and challenging, and I recognize that. And uh, so we'd want to support you, and we want to just keep walking together with you.